family. But I spent, up until this last summer, the last uh, eight plus years as the lead pastor of this church. Um, it's a church that I absolutely love. The people here um, mean the world to me. And I think it says a lot about the church that I'm even here. I think a lot of times when pastors leave, you know, you, you don't hear from them. Um, and if you do, it's usually a, a long time uh, after they leave. But the fact that Paul asked me to come here and spend uh, a Sunday with you, uh, I think says a lot about this church and this, this church community. Um, we are truly like a family uh, in Christ. And I can tell you from my experience moving and going to new churches, I, I understand what it's like to be, uh, through experience now, be a new, a new attender. And um, I had a chance to, sh to spend some time with the staff on Friday night, and I shared with them. And I, I want to share with you, like, having gone out and experienced different churches and being a, a first-time attender, I just, it, I look back at the Highlands and I'm like, man, there's something so special about this church. There's something so unique. Uh, there, it, it, it's a gift. The work that you all are doing um, is exceptional. It's meaningful. And um, you're doing great things for the kingdom of God. And so thank you so much for having me today. Um, so uh, again, I'm Aaron. My wife's name is Kristen. I brought some photos for you. This is Kristen. We've been, this is us celebrating 11 years um, just like last week, we had not had a one-on-one -on -one, uh, date since we had moved, and my in-laws were down, and so we got a chance to go out and celebrate our anniversary late, which was fun. Uh, we have two kids, Jonas and Lainey. Jonas, this is Jonas. He's seven years old, and then Lainey is five, um, and she is all girl, as you can see from that, that pose, um, but Jonas and Lainey uh, are, are our loves, and I know many of you know them, but um, we have some exciting news to share as we're introducing my family. Coming soon, um, we, we, that's ours. <laughs> um, so, um, if any of you know a little bit of our story, you know, we... This is huge. Every child is, is a miracle, but this is a miracle. Um, at many times over the last 11 years, we, we had sort of had, actually had peace about it not happening for us, struggling with infertility for our entire marriage. We found out the week before uh, leaving for Arizona that Kristen was pregnant. And um, I would say shocked is the word we used for the first few weeks. Um, but we're... We're so thankful to God and um, in awe of, of God um, and thankful for God and the gift of this life um, and the faithfulness of God. It's been, a, it's been a journey. And, you know, we were at peace that God had kind of um, shaped our family around adoption. Um, and we were at peace with our little family of four. And then all of a sudden God says, I'm not done. And you just can't get in the way of the creator, you know? So uh, Kristen's like 13 weeks and uh, due in April. And I, I look forward to hopefully a day soon where we're back and we can introduce you to this, this little one. Uh, with that, again, let me, thanks for letting me be here. Let me pray and we'll jump into the, the teaching this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks 
for life. We give you thanks for today. Um, give you thanks for this opportunity as a church to gather. And I pray, Jesus, that um, our hearts would open to you now. That um, we would have a, a real experience, God, in this moment as we look into your word. That, that uh, your voice would speak into our minds and our hearts. So open our ears now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, I spoke to Paul a couple weeks ago in preparation for today, and, and, I, and he's like, what do you want to preach on? I said, and I go, well, I'm a, I want to be a team player, so what, what do you got? I mean, I can do a one-off sermon series. I can do the sermon series that you guys are in. He goes, well, why don't you do the sermon series we're in? Uh, we had a guest speaker the week before. He, I think he did a one-off. Um, and, and I go, yeah, cool, cool. And I go, well, what am I teaching on? And he goes, Romans 6 and sin. Like, Great. Um, that'll be fun. Um, but uh, so it, it's, uh, it's a little intense because Romans, this book is intense and it's deeply theological. But, my, but what I hope to share with you um, this morning is, is really, I want to talk about a tension that I think all of us as Christians throughout our life as Christians experience. And that tension is like, we know, we've been told and we know that we are forgiven by Christ, fully forgiven by Christ. That because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, through his death and his resurrection, we have been forgiven of our sin. And yet, and this is where the tension is, and yet we still sin. And yet we still struggle with sin. And, and yet we find ourselves in life fighting against these habitual sins that we want nothing more to just sort of end, cease, and be done with, and yet we can't seem to, 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 to move on, to change. And it's like, how do I change? Like, shouldn't I change? You know, as a, as a father, I feel like, man, my capacity to love has grown extraordinary. Like my kids, they, they, they help me experience love in ways never before. My kids can bring out the best of me, but as the capacity to love grew, it's like, man, the capacity to sin followed right along as a father. And, and, I, and I hate to admit this, but it, almost a daily sort of thing is me reflecting on messing up as a father. You know, losing my patience, getting upset, yelling at my kids. And these aren't just accidents or things that are okay. Like, honestly, it's sin, and it's sin showing up in my life. And at the end of the day, going, why is this a struggle? Like, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to be a man uh, of God. And, and yet, I'm treating my, 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 I can treat my children in such anger. And I can lose it in the midst of, of being impatient. Like, I shouldn't be this way. I want to change, and why is it such a struggle? And I think all of us have that tension working in some area of our life. How do I change? Like, I have been freed from bondage of sin, but why do I still feel like I'm in bondage to sin? And this, this series, Who is God? I know you guys have been singing that song, A Thousand Names, which is a great great song, and it's just sort of proclaiming the different names of God. And in one of the lines, it says, I call you bondage breaker because you're handing out the prison keys. And that's the title for this morning's message, that like, he is a bondage breaker. He has broken the bonds of sin and shame and guilt. But what do we do with the fact that we still struggle 
with sin. And the, the way that I would describe it is that the, the war's been won, but we're still in the battle. Jesus won the war. Like, we're on the winning side. The end of the story is good. We win. Sin, death, the flesh, and, and the, the enemy die. The war's been won, but we're still in the battle. Until the end of all days and Christ's return, we're in a battle. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans uh, 16. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. In other words, this grace thing is amazing. And he's quoting people, and people are saying, this grace thing is amazing, but it sounds like for the grace to be, um, you know, given, sin has to occur. So should we keep the grace business in business by sinning? And Paul goes, no, by no means. Why? Because you died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. Now, it's, Romans is deep. It's theological. Just hang in with me. Um, he goes on to say, if we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. There's all this talk about, you don't have to sin because you're one with Christ. You're united with Christ. You participated in his death through baptism and his resurrection through baptism. In other words, when you became a Christian, you participated with Christ in his death and resurrection. Your old self was crucified and you've been given a new identity. For we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin. We're going to come back to that at the end. But count of the sermon, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer your parts of the body as sin, as instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me pause there for a second. Three things I, I, I hope to show you in a, in a very dense theological book of, of the Bible. But what Paul is, is trying to get at here is he's trying to help us see and understand sin, its current role, and how we can stand up to it and live within truly our, our true identity. And, and the three things are this. You got to see your sin and you got to fight it. You've got to see and fight your sin. The war's been won, but we're still in the battle. The second thing is this. You have to know your forever unity with Christ. I think I have a slide there, if you want to put it up there just so people can follow. You have to know your forever unity with Christ. And the third is, you have to daily live out your new identity. So the first one is this. You have to see and fight your sin. One of, the, one of the best tactics that Satan has is not to blatantly make your, you and my sin obvious because we might do something about it. 
What, he, what he's much more interested in is, is hiding it from us or tricking us to believe that it actually isn't what it is. You know, uh, deer hunting uh, is here in Minnesota in a few weeks, and I want to say that I have, a mix, I have mixed feelings, both of sadness that I won't be doing it and jealousy of those who, who will. But I can tell you one thing in my years uh, as hunting, and I know all, probably many of you are not hunters, but, I, but you can understand this regardless, is that, look, if you can't see the deer, you're not going to get the deer. Yeah, pretty simple, right? Like, you got to see the deer first if you're going to take the shot. And the thing with sin is like, if you don't see the sin in your life, if you can't identify the sin in your life, it's going to be very difficult for you to, to be like, to master over it. It's going to be very difficult for you to fight. You can't, you know, you've heard sayings like you can't fight things you don't see, like those sorts of things. Like it's true because it's true. And with sin, if you don't see it, you're not going to fight it. So the first thing is you gotta, you got to have eyes that are open to your sin. And Paul, at the end of, like, he goes on to say in verses 15 and 16, and I think this is important because it talks about, like, there's, there's two kinds of people in the world. But he, he quotes again, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And he goes, by no means. But then he says this, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? And it's important to stop here to understand kind of the metaphor that Paul's using here. At the time, um, it, was, it, it wasn't uncommon that if you found yourself in debt, you would, you, would, you would offer yourself as a slave to that person, an indentured servant to that person to pay off the debt. And Paul says like the problem with that is when you offer yourself because of your debt, you burden yourself by, be, by putting yourself underneath that person that you owe the debt to because they really control your life. They really have power over you. And at the second half of verse 16, he, kind of, he then goes into the spiritual side of it and he says, look, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, there's two types of people in the world. There are people who are slaves to sin and I know this sounds weird, but like slaves to Christ. In other words, your allegiance is to Christ. Your pursuit is of obedience and righteousness, or you are enslaved to sin. And, and, and the sin is master over your life. Like there isn't really a third option. And I would just say like, you know, if you're here and you're a Christian or you're here and you're not a Christian or you're here and you're some other religious, uh, you have other religious beliefs, like what is true of humanity is that like we all look for something to give us significance, to give us meaning, to, to give us security. The, the question is, what is it? What are those things? God wants it to be God. But for, for many of us, it could be a career, it could be family, it could be our kids, it can be achievement, it can be personal independence, or it could be like people's approval or the need for people to be dependent on you. It could be money, uh, it could be sex, it could be physical attractiveness, it could be politics. I mean, it could be 
a multitude of things, but the things that give us meaning, the things that give us purpose, the things that we look to to provide uh, security and safety in our lives, we are ultimately indebted to. And the question is, is God your source? Is God my source of meaning and security and purpose? Does, do, do I give my life and my, my, my affections and my, my behaviors and attitudes and, and obedience to him or is it to other, other stuff? Because at the end of the day, what Paul's trying to say to the people is whatever that thing is or whatever those things are, it, it, they are your spiritual master. And if it isn't God, it's something else but they, they, they hold power over you. And I just don't think like we go around and, and, and go, you know, I, um, my looks are, are, spirit, are a spiritual master over me. Like I've never had anyone say that to me. Or my money is, spirit, is a spiritual master over me. Like we don't use that kind of language, but it doesn't mean that, that, that like, it isn't functioning in our lives. I heard Tim Keller once, who was a pastor in New York, uh, give a sermon and he said, you know, like, I don't hear people talk like that, but I do hear things like this. You know, I'm not irritable. I just have high standards. Like, we have, we have mechanisms to sort of uh, hide our sin or justify our sin. Because, you know, I'm not ruthless. I'm just a sharp business person. I'm not stingy. I'm just prudent. Or I'm not obsessed with physical appearances. I just appreciate good grooming. You know, we, we have the, the ability to, to soften our sin or make it look better or make excuses for it. And the problem with that is it, it blinds us. It blinds us to the idols, the functioning idols in our life. And it, it allows the sin to continue to work in our lives. And so if you have like the sin, so let's go back to me as a father in that example. Like what is, it's not just the, maybe the negative behavior that my son has. Like I, I need to deal with that as a father. I need to respond to that. But it doesn't mean that the right way to respond to that is yell and get angry and hurt my child or, or make my child afraid. I go, what is, what's at that? It's not just about bad behaviors. It's like, what is underneath the bad behavior? And it's like, it's like a fear that, like, if my child continues to act like this, they're going to grow up and become a mess. And then it's going to make me look like a mess. Or like, if my identity is in my kids and their achievements and how good they are and what they look like to others... Like, then how they behave and what they do and when they don't measure up and when they fail, like, it's not just, it's not going to be an opportunity for me to show them unconditional love. It's going to be about me and, like, I'm a failure now because they're a failure. Why? Because the idol, the idol that is functionally at work in my heart is that I find significance and meaning in who my child is and what they do and how good they are and what they accomplish, See, that's how idols work, and they're sly. And unless you really get like into a position asking God, show me, show me God, they're hard to see. When you when Paul goes on in Romans 7 and he has this really vulnerable moment where he really opens up. 
in, in Romans 7, he says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that it, it is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Like, he's in the tension we're talking about, you know? For I do not, for I do, not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. This is, I think, an extraordinary thing that Paul tells us about sin, and that is this. Sin isn't something that just comes at you from the outside. What he's saying here is that sin is something that is in us. It's with us. It follows us. It's like a shadow. Where, wherever we go, it follows us. And because of that, like, we are actively every day in a battle against it. In the very beginning of all, all creation, there's a pretty haunting like story. Um, and God himself gives us insight into how sin functions. And in Genesis 4, Cain uh, and Abel are brothers and they bring offerings to God and God is pleased with Abel's offering, but he's not pleased with Cain's offering. And Cain gets really upset. And he's really at a fork in the road. And this is a fork in the road that every single one of us probably finds ourselves in every day. Like something upsets us, we're angry. Anger isn't inherently sinful, but it is a doorway to sin if not handled correctly. And Cain is upset. He's angry and he's at a fork in the road and he can either sin or not sin. And listen to what God says. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Like, do what's right, man. You have an opportunity. But look at what God says. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. God, in, in this metaphor, it's his metaphor here, says something really powerful about sin, and that is it's crouching. It's crouching at your door, which means it gets low, which means it wants to be hidden. It does not want to be apparent in your life. The fact that it's low and moving and waiting for the right and opportune moment to function in your life and work in our lives is it's predatorial. And, and so God's like saying like, it is there, Cain. It is crouching. It is ready to pounce on you. Do what is right fight back, get low, see it. And I wonder, for generations we've prayed on our knees and part of it is in humility to God, but part of it I wonder too is us to get low and go, God, show me the sin in my life, reveal the sin in my life. I know there's sin that's, that's, that, is, that is low, hidden, and ready to pounce. But you must master it. Its desire is to have you. John Owen famously said, you either kill the sin in your life or the sin will kill you. In other words, we have got to be on the offensive. So pr three practical things for this first point that I would offer you. The one is this, pray. Like just what I said, get on your knees and go, God, open my eyes, open my spiritual eyes to see the sin, the idols, the functioning idols in my life, the things that have my attention and my affections more than you. Show me not just bad behavior, but what's underneath it. Like, what's the root? Reveal that stuff to me. The second would be, you know, get with somebody who 
really knows you and really loves you. Not somebody who knows you and was looking for the opportunity to sit in the seat of judgment. Somebody who knows you, loves you, and wants the best for you. Could be a friend, could be your pastor, could be a spouse. But get with someone and have the hard conversation. What, what is sin you see in my life? We all have blind spots. You know what I think is utterly amazing about, about the armor of God that we read about in the book of Ephesians? There's armor to protect every single part of our body except the back. Nothing on the back. Why? Because Roman soldiers fought back to back. Who protected your back? It was the person you were fighting with. And that's why the Christian life is meant to do in community. You're not meant to fight your sin just by yourself. You need to be back to back with somebody you trust, somebody you love, somebody who wants to fight with you. And so my encouragement is just get with that person and go, what is the sin you see in my life? Help me see my blind spots. And then finally, maybe it's not hidden sin, maybe it's sin you know of, but that just has been in the darkness. And I go, if you keep whatever that sin is in the darkness, it will have continued power over you. Until you bring it into the light, it will have power over you. And maybe what, what God wants you to do is finally bring that thing from darkness to light and admit that sin to that person and go, I need help, I need accountability. I need you to stand back to back with me. Help me be strong. Help me fight. Help me not to give up. So you got to see it and you got to fight it. Now, some of you are probably like me and you read this stuff, you go, I just feel so bad. Like, I hate this sin and I don't want to be like this anymore and yet I am like this. And you just sort of go, what a wretched man or woman I am. And that's exactly what Paul said. So don't worry. Look at what he says in verse 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am. And maybe that's what you're saying. Or what a wretched woman I, I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And there is such good news. You can change. Why? Because of verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is the answer to our sin. I think if you asked a lot of Christians, what is it that ultimately saves you? You might hear, well, it's that I'm a good Christian, but that's far from the truth. It is, it is your unity with Christ, that you are in Christ. And that leads me to my second point. You have got to know your forever unity with Christ if you want to change. If you want to love God more than your sin, you've got to recognize what he's done for you and the truth that you are forever unified with Christ. You know, really the heart of the passage are those verses, you know, at the beginning that talk about how we have been, those of us who are Christians, we've been, we've been baptized, like our baptism was, was um, us live, like dying and, and resurrecting with, with Christ. Which we might not like, what does this all mean? Well, verse five says, like, when you become a Christian, you're united with Christ, and that word united is this really interesting Greek word. It's a horticulture word, which means that you and I, when we have been engrafted into the very root, we've been engrafted into the very being of Christ. And so that metaphor is, is trying to say that our lives have been inserted into the very roots of Christ's life. His death, you died with him. His resurrection, you were raised with him. His seat at the right hand of God is your seat at the right 
hand of God. That when the Father sees all that the Son has done and all, and all the things He deserves, He sees you. And at some point in our lives, this has to become real to us. We have got to experience in some way, I believe, the enormity of God's grace and love for us. That this is true of me. That God loves me this much. That, you know, I've had people in my life that haven't forgiven me, but that doesn't mean that's how God works. You know, the high priest in the Old Testament, once a year would go into the Holy of Holies and stand before the very presence of God. And there was all sorts of rituals and different things that that person would have to do. But one of the things that the high priest would wear was the ephod. And what it was, was it was this breastplate that was just full of precious stones. And he would go before God wearing this, this breastplate with, with these beautiful, precious stones. And on these stones was etched the names of all the tribes of Israel. As if to go before God, the Father, to say like, I'm representing your children, the children of the tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, we're told that Jesus is our true high priest, our forever high priest. That Jesus is actually before the very throne at the right hand of God. And because Jesus is our, our high priest, and because we're invited to participate, to literally be engrafted into the very being of, of who Jesus is, our names, when we become a Christian, are etched over the heart of Jesus Christ, who's bearing it before the Father. And when the Father sees your name, he see, he, he's in absolute delight, and he sees absolute beauty. As ugly as we may, as we look in, inward at ourselves, as the ugliness that we may see, the Father does not see. Think about that for a moment. The only eyes whose opinion ultimately really matter in all the universe finds you and I more precious than all the jewels in and under the earth. When it comes to changing, I mean, this isn't just something you need to know. You got to know it. And it isn't even just something you need to believe. But I think it's something that it's got to get deep into your heart. It's got it's to be something that I pray you experience like it needs to be existential, like something that God comes in. And I hate that to, to say that often it's in the moments of my greatest weaknesses and my biggest failures that this becomes a reality. And that is what Paul is saying. And that's what's so good about the gospel is that we aren't shunned when we sin, when we fall short, when we become the worst versions of ourselves. He doesn't turn his back on us because of what Christ has done, because we are in him, we are saved. Not because of our behavior, because we are in him. We're forever in him. And I invite you, if you've never, like if that's never got from your head to your heart or from your ears into your head to your heart, man, I, I just, I want that for you. I hope you want that for yourself and tell God that you want that. God, show up. Help me experience that in a way that melts my heart. Because sin doesn't come, like, 
the, the lust of sin and the, the, the temporary like feelings that sin might give don't come close to this. It, they don't. To know that, that to be fully satisfied in God and secure in God and loved by God unconditionally, like sin just becomes something that you just look at and you go, I don't want that anymore. I just don't want that. I've got something so much better. Jesus died to give you that so much better. Okay, last, you have to daily live out your new identity. In verse six, he talks, look, he says, we know that our old self was crucified him, with, with him so that the body of sin might be dealt with. He, Paul says, like, when you're a Christian, there's an old self. And guess what? It's gone. That's your former self, your old identity. It's crucified. Past tense. Move forward. It's not who you are. When you become a Christian, you may act some way, in some ways the same uh, bef- like before you were a Christian, but that doesn't mean... Any, like, you're, you're a new person. You're a new creation. Start, like, believing that and claiming that. He goes on, so that it is out of that new identity that the body of sin might be, a, might be done away with. That, that sin might, it, it's, he's not saying that the body's bad. What he's saying is, like, you've been given everything to sort of turn away and not live like that anymore. Like, the old self is gone. Like, you have been given everything you need to be released from those old spiritual masters that had your heart and your mind and your behaviors. But when you look at verse 11, he says, in the same way, count yourself to sin. In other words, it's not automatic. You've got to count yourself dead to sin. Every day, you've got to count yourself dead to sin. I think sometimes we just think it's just, boom, going to happen, and it's done. No, Paul's like, Every day you need to count yourself dead to sin. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God, but you got to treat yourself as if like that you are dead to sin and alive to God. God has given us everything we need, but we've got to choose every day to deploy what he's given us. As the band comes out, you know, I just say like, what, it, what are you telling yourself about yourself? What is the lang- internal language you use to, to, to talk to yourself Because in a lot of ways, we're being shaped by the way we think and what we believe about ourselves. And if you're telling yourself every day that you're a failure, that you're nothing, you're nothing good, you're just a sinner, that you're, far from, you're, you're out of the reach of, of God, that you're a mess, that there's no hope, you're going to live that way. And that's what the enemy every day wants you to believe. I'll tell you, like, I typically have been a good, I've typically been a good sleeper in my life. And I've had seasons where maybe not so much, but I'm, I find myself in this season where I just have not been sleeping very well. And I have found myself telling myself, like, every day, these are some of the thoughts, like, you're a bad sleeper, you know, like, you don't sleep well. And the more that I tell myself that I'm a bad sleeper, the worse I sleep. Because I'm just, I'm living out what I'm proclaiming, what I'm believing, what I'm telling myself. And maybe it's a silly sort of metaphor, but I think it's true when it comes to who we are in Christ. I mean, if you're, if you're every day telling yourself that you're, you're, you're not good, you don't measure up, that you're, you know, you're never going to be freed from the sin, you're never going to change, 
There's no way God loves me. Like, you're just, you're, sh you're shaping an identity that just isn't true about yourself. And you're going to live from that false identity. And I go, what if we were, woke up and every day we were claiming the truth of who we really are? That I am dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. I am not saved by my good works. I am saved because I am in Christ. I am saved because Jesus in his love for me shared in what he earned in, his, in and through his life, his death and his resurrection. I do sin, yes, and I fall, but I am forgiven. And I belong to him. And I am, I am in Christ and he is in me. I just go, man, if we like talk that way to ourselves, to each other, we would over time live that way. We would. Jesus has given us everything we need. Like, we don't have to be burdened and imprisoned by these sins anymore. But we got to have him show us it. We got to be open to seeing it. We got to fight it. Yeah, the war's been won, but we're in the battle. We got to fight it. We got to know and experience the gospel and know that we have forever unity with Jesus Christ, literally engrafted into the very root of Jesus Christ. And we've got to daily remind ourselves who we really are. And we, we do these things. I'll tell you what, you know who you're going to make really mad? The devil, because he's going to have lost all control over you. Jesus, thank you. Let's stand. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for all you've done. Thanks that you have invited us into freedom true freedom. So God, um, would you now, Spirit, just work in our hearts? Lead us. Because you have truly handed us the prison keys. We can walk out and we don't have to go back in. Every day the enemy's trying to get us back into the imprisonment of an old identity, an old sin that is no longer true. So we take the keys of freedom that Jesus Christ died for and we walk forward together. In Jesus' name, Amen.